Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I have to first start and say thank you to all the people who are able to make Sunday mornings happen. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in order to have a service happen. There's folks who are giving of themselves to lead us in worship, and they come and they practice, and they hone that skill and that gift and that talent that God has given them to share it on a Sunday morning here with you or, or for five hours at a fall fest on a Saturday before they come here on a Sunday morning. We got folks who sit in the back and they run the sound and who are running the computer and the projection and the online service. And there's even folks who, while today is not their day to be on, if there's a problem, they get up and they come back and they try and get it all figured out. I'm very thankful for everyone who is here. I'm very thankful for all of you who give of yourselves to make this stuff happen. Even yesterday, folks who are giving of crafts that they've made, of pies and goodies and and chili and corn soup and all sorts of stuff to make the stuff happen for yesterday. There's just incredible amounts of giving and I'm very thankful for all of your generosity. Thank you guys for being who you are and making this place what it is. We are in our very final week of the series that we're in called Follow. This is it. This is the last week. And we're going to end on communion. And communion is something that's, there's a sacredness to it. There's an importance to it. And we don't do it every week in this church, and and even in our our denominational tradition, we don't do it every week. And some people do it every week, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, at least, in my experience, it makes it that much more special that it's not this routine thing we do every week. I really appreciate that. And so when these days come up, I just feel like we all need to, myself included, have our hearts and our spirits get right for communion. And so this is a reminder, today is communion. If you're with us online, you're gonna wanna get your cup and your bread, your wafer, whatever it is that you're gonna use for online communion ready. And if you're sitting here, there should be a uh, prepackaged communion thing on your chair. If there isn't, please raise your hand and we'll make sure that someone brings it to you. If there isn't one on your chair, it means somebody was snacking early. And I don't know about that. Let's do a, a bit of a recap. Today is our final, final week in this series. So where have we gone in this series? We started out this series saying that we needed to get our priorities right. Because this life is hard and there are bad things that happen in this life. And if we're only in following Jesus for the blessings and the good stuff, then when the hard stuff and the bad stuff happens, our faith will often falter through that time. We will find ourselves struggling. We also talked about how it is really important for us to remember that The grace of God is what saves us, which brings us to salvation. But there is also a requirement that there are things in our lives that need to change. And that's called repentance. Repentance is a word that means that when you're going one direction, you turn and you go the other direction. So what in our lives must must we repent of? In week three, we talked about how so many of us seem to be satisfied with an arm's length relationship with God transactional. We talked about the grocery store, remember? We talked about buying potatoes and the sort of relationship you have with a cashier. 
where you give them money, they give you potatoes, and you walk away. And we said, that's not the kind of relationship we want with God, not a transactional relationship. We want an intimate relationship with God, one where we know him and he knows us. We also talked about idols. There's idols in our lives. And we, I brought back a little bit of everything we've had up here for the whole series, right? There's idols in our lives, things that get between us and God. And God doesn't want to be in second place. In fact, God doesn't want there to be a second place. He wants to be the only one on the racetrack seeking out your heart. We talked about how it's easy for us to get caught up aiming at the wrong target, Right? It's easy for us to get stuck in lists, spiritual lists. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. We pay attention to all the rules. We have this black and white perspective on what it means to follow God and we end up putting on a mask of hypocrisy. And we encouraged each other to take off the mask and come before God in an authentic way. We also talked about the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest, I think that was my favorite week. He said, there's a Holy Spirit that if you follow Jesus, that Jesus has given each one of us. There's a Holy Spirit inside of you that is testifying to you, to your heart, who God is. And the call on you is to release what he is testifying to you into the world around you. Uncork the bottle and let the Holy Spirit flow through you. Last week, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount. And we said, look, we would all probably say that Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount matter to us. They're guiding principles to our lives. And we challenge that thought by saying, your life reflects your true value. What you really value is going to show up in your life. So if you say that you value the Sermon on the Mount's teachings, it will show up in your life. And if you don't really value it, when you look at your life, you will not see it there. What you truly value is presence in your life. When you kind of put it that way in a recap, it's amazing the ground we've covered, I think, in this series. We've picked out some of the most difficult teachings, quite honestly. A lot of the verses that pastors, when they create sermons, tend to steer away from or steer around. Oh, that's a, that's a hard one. We're going to go right around that one. And we, we went right in. One of the caveats we started to give, though, was having to do with people who are new to the faith. Because a few weeks back, I had gotten a message, and the message was that someone had been watching online, and they felt a little bit sad after one of the weeks. They felt like they were walking away from the service thinking, I'm not doing enough. If you're a new follower of Jesus, then you are taking the step you're supposed to take. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, that is the step we're talking about. In so many ways, there's this road ahead of you that's wonderful and beautiful, and this series can give you an idea of what's ahead. It's going to prepare you for some of the hardest stuff that Scripture reveals to us. And at the same time, we have to be realistic and honest that there are some of us who have been in a relationship with God for so long that it's become routine and rote, and we don't pay it the sort of attention that we should. It's like a marriage. You've been married long enough that you take your spouse, your partner for granted, and you no longer pay them the attention that you should be paying them. Our relationship with God can often look like that. So this series is not made to make someone feel like you're not doing enough. I don't want that for anyone, but it is made as a wake-up call. It's the alarm waking you up to say, if you've been taking advantage, if you haven't been spending the sort of time and energy in this relationship with God that you should be, it's time to wake up. It's time to get off the couch. It's time to do something about that and follow God. To start out this week, 
what I want to do is I want to do a little bit of a revisit with our weekly devotional. And the reason I'm choosing to do that today is because the weekly devotional goes out online. It's the only way it goes out. Some people will see it, some people will hear it, and some people won't. But what I talked about in that devotional this week is something that works well in the message today, and it's something that I want to make sure that if you didn't hear it, you get a chance to hear it. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to open to Genesis chapter 3. We're starting at verse 1. And what I want to do this morning is I want to tell you sort of two stories. I want to tell you the story in Genesis chapter 3, and then we're going to jump to Philippians chapter 2 for an alternative version. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 starts out this way. It says, now the serpent, this is in the Garden of Eden, by the way, a little context for you, okay? We're in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are here, and... uh, Well, you'll see what happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's where we'll stop. I want you to pay really close attention to the thing that the serpent says to convince mankind to take this step. The serpent says, you will be like God. God. The desire to be like God, the desire to have what God has, is a desire that plagues mankind, not just in a Garden of Eden, but all the way forward in time to the present day. The desire to have what God has, the desire to have the knowledge that God has, the desire to have the power that God has. Because if we have that knowledge and we have that power, then we don't have to be dependent on God, right? We can be independent. If you want something done right, you're gonna do it yourself. I did this myself, I built myself. Think about all the statements you hear people say that claim independence. We like independence. Mankind loves, desires to be under its own power. So even in the garden, as the serpent comes to Eve, it's the best argument. If you eat, you won't die. You'll be just like God. Now hear me. Here's the important thing I want you to hear. Mankind does not have the power, right? But mankind wants the power. Now, As Christians, we're supposed to follow the teachings of Jesus, right? Christians, that means Christ-like. So we're not not Evians or followers of Adam. I tried to make a Christian word out of the word Adam, and I just couldn't do it. Adamians, Adam, it didn't work. So Evians and followers of Adam, that's not what we do. We follow Jesus, right? So how does Jesus relate to power becomes the question. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse six, okay? Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, what did we say? Mankind doesn't have the power, but mankind wants the power, and mankind is willing to break his relationship with God to get the power. Okay? That's what Genesis 3 tells us. Mankind wants it bad enough that they're willing to break their relationship with God to get it. And thus is the start of everything that church and Jesus is all about, right? There's this sin in the world. There's a sin in each of us. But how does Jesus relate to power? Jesus has the power. What does it say? In essence, he is God. He is equal to God. And rather than considering that something to be used to his own advantage, what does he do? He puts it aside. He gives up the power in order to restore God's relationship with man. So while man wants the power and is willing to break relationship to get it, Jesus has the power and gives it up in order to restore relationship. So when it comes to power, when it comes to our own desires, we follow the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is to not consider power or rights to our own advantage, but to put those aside and become a servant, to humble ourselves by becoming obedient even unto death. Now, following Jesus is a journey, okay? It doesn't mean you have to have that all figured out with the first step you take. I want you to remember that it is a journey. We take one step at a time. And sometimes when we give a sermon or a teaching, we talk about a step that's three or four or 30 steps down. And it's easy to feel like if I'm at the first or second step, how do I get there? Well, you take the next step, and the next step, and the next step. You can't jump ahead. It is a journey that you take one step at a time. Let's talk about what Jesus says looks like for us to follow him. John three sixteen. It's probably a scripture that many of you guys have memorized, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever in him shall not perish but have. It's one that many people know. It's one that we've seen. You might go to a sporting event and see somebody hold up a sign with John 3.16 on it. It's, it's clearly a well-known verse. And, and this verse centers on believing, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's about believing, which is really important. When we talk about that first step, and when I talked about new Christians, that first step, it's believing. It's a step that we all must take on this journey. Step one, believing. But that's not where it ends. It's not much of a journey if you get one step into it, right? It's a longer journey, a journey of many steps. Believing is important, but it's not the only step. So what is what are some of the next steps? Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says this, and we're going to spend some time here, so I have a bunch of slides for it to be on the screen. Whoever wants to be, he, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is certainly lesser known than John 3.16. This isn't the one that people are holding up at sporting events. You don't see this one plastered on coffee mugs. This is a lesser known, and it's a bit harder, isn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't sound as nice as John 3.16. This feels Harder, it, it feels worse. It doesn't center on believing. The crux of this passage is not on believing. It centers on following. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So John 3.16 is believing, right? So we take the first step, and then we get into following. Part of following is denying ourselves. Part of following is taking up that cross daily, That's following. Remember, we are saved by grace. When I say following, when I say taking those next steps, it is easy for your brain, especially in our culture, whether that's a Pennsylvania Dutch work ethic or that's just American culture, it is easy for us to go, okay, take a step, get my list out. No, 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 we just talked about lists. No lists, okay? I'm taking my step. Oh, it's, it's my job. I got to do my work. No, no, no. We talked about work, right? It's for, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Those steps aren't about work, okay? So don't get the list out. That's not what I'm saying to do. Remember, for you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. There is work to be done, but the work to be done comes out of this work that has been done in us. You're not gonna accomplish the work in you by doing all those things on the list, okay? Faith and action go hand in hand. We need to believe in John 3, 16, and we need the follow in Luke 20, line 23. You need both of them. Taking steps, one after another, right? Let's look at Luke 9, 23, okay? Sometimes when we come across a verse like this that seems hard, it talks about denying yourself, it talks about taking up your cross daily. Those aren't fun, they don't sound good. Not very appealing. And so often the first thing we want to do is we want to say, okay, well, maybe he wasn't talking to me. Maybe there's a way around it or out of this, right? Well, let's break it down. Let's look at the word all. That's the first one we see there. Then he said to them all. Maybe when he says all, all is a specific group of people and it's all those people, right? All right, all. Let's see. All is the word in Greek, pas. Do you know what pas means? It means all. <laughs> it means every. It means whosoever, everyone. It means the whole. It means all persons. So all doesn't give us what we're hoping for, right? It doesn't get us out of this. Then he said to them all. That's everyone, guys. Every single one of us. So what comes after this, there's not really any way out of. So it goes on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now let's look at the word disciple. I think this is fascinating. 
The word disciple is actually two Greek words. And you know what they literally mean? Follow after. Whoever wants to follow after me must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Follow after. It's about this journey that we are on. Okay. Follow after. And then there's these two phrases that come up. They're really not so fun phrases. Deny themselves and take up their cross. And it's an and that links those. Which means we have to do both of those. It's not one or the other. It's not whichever one you feel like today. It's both of these that we have to do. Denying yourself means that you are unwilling to put your desires above God's desires for you. Think about that. Think about how many times your life is guided, your actions are guided, the way you spend your money is guided by your desires for you rather than God's desires for you. Think about how many times in your life you have put your desires for you above God's desires for you. Denying yourself means I'm gonna make sure God and I are in line. I'm gonna pray about this decision. I'm gonna think about this thing before I do it because I wanna make sure that I'm following God and not me. And there might be times that we line up and that is awesome. But more often than not, there's a little voice saying you shouldn't and we do because we want to. Denying yourself means we don't set our desires above Jesus. It means that we aren't following Adam and Eve. I already said this, right? We aren't looking for the power for ourselves. We aren't trying to have what we want even if we want it really bad because God has a different desire for us. What was God's desire for Adam and Eve? To live in the garden, to take care of the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. He said, don't do this one thing. Everything else you can do. One thing don't do. And, and what was their desire? The one thing. So rather than God's desire for them, their desire. So what's that thing in your life? Because there's all these things you can do. And there's a couple of things that you shouldn't be doing. And yet we do. Because they're our desire. It's what we want. And we want to put our desires ahead of God's desires for us. So tell me, is there a spirit speaking to you this morning that is telling you, it's, it's showing you something, it's a light on your life saying, I knew it, I shouldn't be doing that thing. I'm doing it anyway. What does Philippians 2 tell us? Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus puts aside his desires, puts aside his power, to be what? Obedient, humble. See, those are steps in this journey. We have believing, we're following, we're following after, we're being disciples, and somewhere we're being obedient, and somewhere we're learning humility, and these are all steps on this journey. And we have Jesus that we can look to who has taken the journey ahead of us that is showing those very steps. So he puts aside the power, he puts aside his desires, and he's obedient. He humbles himself in obedience even unto death. Wow, what a call. What a hard call for us. Like, I mean, be honest with yourself for a moment. Are you willing? 
Are you willing to love God that much that you could humble yourself to obedience, to what he's calling you to do today, even now, even when you leave here, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you care for them, in your marriage, in your friendships, at your workplace. He's calling you to something. Are you willing to be obedient? And when the world tries to stop you, when those voices, when those powers and principalities try to stop you from being obedient, are you willing to be obedient even unto death? And see, in this verse, there's this word. And it comes in there and it says, You must take up your cross and deny yourself. How often? Daily. It's a commentary on how often we need to remind ourselves if our desires are God's desires. Daily. There's a lot of people that are gonna hear that. They're gonna hear a conversation about denying yourself, about taking up your cross. Now that's what it means to follow Jesus, setting aside your power, setting aside what you feel like is your rights or your privilege in order to be obedient and humble. And they're gonna say, I can't do that. That's too hard. I was talking to somebody yesterday who was telling me a story about a friend who went to the doctor and the doctor says, you gotta do X, Y, and Z for your health. And he looked at the doctor and said, it's not gonna happen. I mean, at least he was honest, right? Uh, he knows what he's supposed to do, but nope, it's not gonna happen. But many of us are gonna hear this. We know what we need to do. We say, that's too hard. It's not gonna happen. Some of us are thinking in our hearts and our heads, I won't measure up. I'm not good enough. I've, I've already made so many mistakes that I for sure am disqualified from all of this. No, that's not true, but I get it. Why fill out an application if you know you're going to be rejected, right? I have a son who's five years old, and we live in an apartment. In his bedroom, there's kind of this lofted bunk bed sort of area, and uh, he'll hang out there for his quiet times. And one day during quiet time, I stopped into his room to check on him, make sure he was okay. He's up there in his loft. I can't see him. It's high enough that I, I can't see without climbing up. So I just kind of poked my head in and I said, Eli, are you okay? Yep. And he poked, I said, can I see you? Because he was too far back. I couldn't see him. And he pokes his head out and he's got this bright red mustache. I mean, red mustache. Well, he's not supposed to get drinks. He's not supposed to get juice by himself. He needs to ask mom or dad for help with that. And I said, did you have some juice? No. Did you have a drink? Yeah. What did you have? Special water. Special water. Well, special water, I'll tell you, he's not wrong here. We call it special water. I, I, I don't like the taste of water, so I have these like Mio things. You put a couple drops in the water, right? Eli used about a half a Mio container and a cup of juice about this big, or a cup of water. So that was some strong special water, but that mustache was so red, right? And I was like, buddy, you know the rules. You can't do that. Okay. All right. But the way he said that, I just thought, there's something more to this. I, I don't know. I feel uneasy. I said, I'm going to come up there. I started to climb up the ladder. And he goes, no, daddy, don't. I'm good. 
I'm like, oh, now I really gotta go, right? I get to the top of the ladder, and up at the top here is a little bit of carpet. It's kind of a light color. And right there at the top of the ladder is a big red stain like this big on the white carpet. And I'm like, Eli, what happened? I spilled. I know you spilled. I can see that you spilled. This is why you're not allowed to have get your own juice. I would have gotten you a lid for the cup. He's terrified to let me get up there and see it because what does he think is gonna happen? He's gonna be in trouble, right? He might get a spank or something like that. I said, Eli, we're gonna have to get that stain out together. So I climbed back down and I got the carpet cleaner and climbed back up and he got some paper towels and I got paper towels and we scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. It's a little pink there still. (laughs) Can't quite get it out. But how many of us are terrified that we've got some red stain somewhere. We're flipping couch cushions to try and hide it. We're saying, Daddy, don't come up to the loft. And in our lives, Daddy's God, right? We're trying to hide from God. We are like Adam and Eve in the garden having taken a bite of that fruit and God going, where are you guys? Like God doesn't know. And they're going, we're nowhere, right? We're afraid of some sort of divine spank or something. That's not the world, that's not the life that God wants you to live in, where you are terrified of coming to him. God doesn't want you to run away from him with your problems. He wants you to run to him with your problems. Come to God with your problems. He's gonna roll his sleeves up. He's gonna get the roll of paper towels and the carpet cleaner. You're gonna work together at that stain. That's part of what it means to follow after Jesus as we take these steps one at a time together with him. We're not alone in this journey. Not only are we given the Holy Spirit, but God is with us and he has given you a community of people. You're not alone in this journey. We walk together in faith. And we need to stop being terrified that God is gonna find out that there's something in our past where we have grasped for the power, where we have done something under our own desires rather than God's desires, and it left a stain somewhere. Guys, we all have stains. I've got stains. Man, I have been flipping couch cushions since I was a little kid. I am telling you, I got some stories that I don't tell you. (laughs) But my dad's given the message in a couple weeks, and so maybe you'll hear one or two, I don't know. Hopefully not. (laughs) The Bible is full of stories of people who are in this very situation. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine, if you would. If you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. And while you're doing that, I wanna tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew is a disciple. That's who writes the book of Matthew, who, who writes down the journey of following Jesus. Matthew is a guy who has got a lot of stains And he's a guy who's got so many stains, he has stopped covering them up. He's stopped flipping the couch cushions. And why is that? Quite honestly, because Matthew probably has been ousted from his family. He has been rejected from his family. How do we know that? Because Matthew has another name. The name is Levi. And for parents to name their kid Levi means there's an expectation that they are going to follow a rabbi, be a rabbi, become a priest, serve God in some way, shape, or form, just like the Levites of old did. His name is Levi, so which means he would have been in the same school that every other Jewish boy was in. He would have learned to memorize massive chunks of scripture, and at some point, he would have gotten to the point where either he was told, go do your family's trade, like our fishermen disciples were told, or he would have been told, go find a rabbi to follow. 
And so somewhere along the way, Matthew tried to put his application in with a rabbi, and he got turned down. No rabbi would take him. For some reason, we don't know the reason, we know he didn't go into his family trade, and we know that he didn't follow a rabbi. Instead, Matthew becomes a tax collector. Now look, no one likes tax collectors today, right? But back in, I shouldn't say that, we love tax collectors, all right? If you're watching online, you're a tax collector, we love you. I didn't mean to say it that way, all right? No one likes taxes today, that's what I should have said, all right? But in biblical times, <laughs> you didn't separate taxes from tax collector, all right? You didn't like the tax collector. And here's the thing, Matthew's Jewish, the taxes are put on you by the Romans, so to be a tax collector meant you were working for the Romans. So you're working for the enemy, you're a traitor. Even if you're a fair tax collector, you're a traitor. But you know how most tax collectors did it? If the tax was 2%, they charge three or four. They pocket the extra one or 2%, they get really wealthy, they tax their peers that much harder, the Romans get paid, and no one likes you, okay? So even if you're an honest tax collector, no one likes you, but likely you're not even an honest one. Matthew becomes a tax collector for the Romans. Tax collectors are the enemy. And let me, let me just, one more piece. It's not even that you're not liked. It's that you've been 100% completely written off so that as a Jewish tax collector, you're not even allowed to go into the outer gates of the temple. Your name has been wiped off the ledger. You can't go in the temple. Can you imagine having somebody that grows up in our church and their profession that they have chosen is so awful to us that we say, you can't even come in the lobby. The doors are open, but you can't even come in the lobby. I mean, Matthew's not even allowed in the lobby of the temple. All right, Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go on and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Look, the foot of the cross is level ground. No one comes in a higher place than another. For we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have stains. And Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinners. And it is hard for me to imagine from the perspective of those around Jesus, somebody who could possibly be thought of as lower than Matthew. I mean, they don't even put him in the same category as sinners. Did you notice that? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They have their own category. It's hard to imagine someone lower, someone further from God than Matthew, and yet this is who Jesus chooses. 
He doesn't just choose and say, Matthew, I, I want you to be in a, uh, an arms out, uh, extended relationship with me. I, I kind of want you to like me a little bit. I want you to think about me before you have a meal of food and maybe just say a couple words. No, he said, come and follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Follow me. Over and over and over, Jesus says these words to the people who should never have been allowed. Matthew has been rejected. He has done all sorts of wrong things. He has said to a rabbi at some point in his life, can I follow you? And they said no. And then this guy comes along and says, follow me. And Matthew says, I am in. It's hard to imagine someone further. But you know, I can imagine someone further, maybe. I imagine that Jesus, as he hung on a cross, surrounded by two criminals, two criminals who had done something, who had been convicted of that. And while Jesus is being killed, being put to death, in a terrible, atrocious, violent, painful manner, and there are two men hanging beside him on either side, also being put to death, they would be pretty far from God. And those two men, for many of us, are going to represent the choice that you have every single day. How many times do we have to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow? Daily we have to do that. So every single day you have the choice between being the thief on the cross who mocks Jesus and the thief on the cross who says, stop, don't you know this man is innocent? Teacher, Lord, remember me when you come to your father's house. And Jesus doesn't say, get away from me, sinner. Get away from me, you're not righteous. You're not good enough. Your stains are too big for me. I can't handle all that you've done. It's too late. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. It doesn't matter how far you feel you are. You're never so far that God, Jesus cannot just capture you. You have that choice today. No stain is too great. No mistake is too big. Nothing can separate us from the love and grace of God. And that is why we celebrate communion. That's why we come to this place today and we celebrate communion together because nothing separates us. Because grace saves us. Not the works that you do, but grace saves us. That thief on the cross There's nothing he could do except call out to Jesus. And Jesus called back to him. You might think, Nick, in all practicality, come on. If it's not just about believing, it's also about following, then how do we follow? And I'll tell you like I've told you, I don't know how many times since I've come here. It starts with love one another. I hope you never get tired of hearing that. What are the greatest commandments, Jesus? Love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything. Every story in the Old Testament, every prophet in the Old Testament, every picture we have of God hangs on those two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is where it begins. Love one another. That is how you follow Jesus. But you might want it to be more practical, and I'm going to give that to you yet today. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to let the Bible do it for us. I'm going to give you the rest of that Philippians 2 passage that we read earlier about Jesus giving up his power. 
I'm going to start at the beginning. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In all practicality, if you need it spelled out on what it means to follow Jesus beyond loving God and loving others, it is right here for you in Philippians 2. You lay aside what you consider your right to have and you become a servant to those around you. You humble yourself into obedience. You have a like mind and a like heart and a like spirit with the people that you are in community with. And you love one another. Jesus is our role model. Jesus is our model. He is our perfect model. Now it is time for us to follow him. So may we put aside our desires for the desires of Christ. And I pray that each of us finds joy and obedience. We don't put aside our desires for the desires of Christ because I have to. We look for the joy in that. It's not always easy, but God is at work in each of us. You may not think you have a story. I promise you, you do. You may struggle to see where God's at work. I promise you, it's there. God is at work. And as we pick up that cross daily, as it bites into our shoulder, may we remember that there was one who carried a cross for each of us before us and we follow in his footsteps maybe look to him to guide us and my friends from the bottom of my heart may we follow Jesus together hi this is Pastor Nick thanks for listening I hope something that you heard today was very helpful If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.